for this kingdom to do what it's supposed to do. I just need to make sure that the people that are around me have the answer and let them run with this answer. And I'm not their competition. Welcome to the Destiny Leaders Podcast, a podcast that's devoted to developing leaders around the globe by sharing stories, wisdom, and experiences from those within our Destiny family. Well, hey, Destiny family. I'm so excited today to bring to you an interview with Pastor Brett Jones of Grace Church in Texas. Pastor Brett has just released a book called The Changeover Principle, and let me just tell you, it's an amazing resource for every leader. I'm excited about this podcast recording today because there's so many nuggets of wisdom. In fact, we hop directly into that wisdom, so buckle up and get ready. The Bible says that when we die, our souls return to God from whence they came, and our bodies return to dust from whence they came. So think of that. Your soul returns to God from whence it came. So you were a soul sitting on God's Costco shelf. And when he decided it's her time, he took that soul, decided which body he was going to make and put it in. And it doesn't matter if your parents made you in a Chevy at the levee. How how that moment happened isn't nearly important as that moment happened. And if you were old growing up that you were an idiot and you're stupid, well, that was actually a reflection of the people that were saying that because you actually are fearfully and wonderfully made. So no matter what you have been told, your DNA tells us who you really are. And you could only be a child of God because it can't be replicated. It can't be, it can't be done again. We can't make the happen again. We can't. Th- these are the type of things that I hope make every person in the in the Destiny family realize their importance to the kingdom. They, I mean, uh, the the it, you know in Houston, I'm, I, I know we have Destiny family all over the world, Houston is not the garden spot of the world. Houston's a little warm. Houston's a little humid. That's like an understatement. And in August in Houston, it it's about 85% humidity and about 95 to 100 degrees. And for the people to do parking lot ministry here at the church, they show up. Uh, at the Humble Campus, they show up about 7.15, and they put cones out. And they're already sweated through their second layer of shirts by the time somebody pulls into the parking lot. And here they are on their day off helping to park the cars for the people to go in to get their miracles. How, how is that any different than Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? And they said, okay, we need porters. Who's going to who's gonna park the donkeys? We need pooper scoopers. Somebody's got to clean up behind these donkeys because we're not going to lay our, our garments down on the ground. Jesus walked across that. So, and they prepared. They were ready. The Bible says they prepared. They were ready. I don't think God's going to give us the people 
that we say we want until we show God that we're willing to take care of. We're ready. We, we did prepare, you know, that it had happened. That's why I think destiny has such a um, wide ranging uh, group of members that do all sorts of things. It's not just a pastor's fellowship. It is a, a ministry fellowship that that serves the whole body. And that's what that's one of the holistic things about what we're doing. That that's what the that's what the body does. I mean that's what what we're supposed to do. I do want to get into your book, The Changeover Principle, which is which is a really, really great resource for anyone listening today. And, um, you know, in the book, you actually mentioned some of your your family and your family's background. And so for those most people who are listening today are going to know you or, or know of you and and know of the great church that Grace Church is um, there in Humble, Texas and in the surrounding communities. But give us a little bit of background on yourself, on um, on maybe your ministry family and just just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, my grandfather. Ira Jones um, jumped on a freight train in the early 1930s and rode down during the Depression from Paris, Texas to Houston to find a job. And uh, he and my grandmother would eventually, uh, over the next few, few, they'd already had some children, so add another 10 years to that, they'd end up with 13 kids. My dad was the middle one. My grandfather came down here in Houston heard um heard a, a guy at work talk about a sermon uh actually met the preacher uh, uh brother lambert charles lambert and gospel truth assembly remember, uh gospel truth church i think and my grandfather uh heard the gospel and um just bought in i mean he, he just bought in my grandmother and both uh spirit and uh in the late forties and 48, my grandfather, uh, went across Houston from his home church and started a church. So the first, uh, church in Houston that he started, it was called Stonewall, uh, Pentecostal church. And, uh, it still exists today under different names and stuff. The Austin family, uh, leave it now. Uh, my dad then raised up in the church, um, did not come to faith, didn't come to the Lord till he was in his twenties, he was in the, in the Navy when that happened. My, on my mother's side, uh, they were from Kilgore, Texas. And, uh, there was, uh, five or six kids in that family. And, uh, my grandfather was, was an irreligious guy, but my grandmother, uh, would have considered herself a, I think she went to a Lutheran church like twice a year. She said she was, she was a novel Lutheran and a lady named Mrs. Gunn live next door. I preached a sermon about it, live, live next door to him. And she would constantly, my grandmother's name was Viola Green. And she would constantly say, Miss Viola, Miss Green, I want you to go to church with me. And she'd say, Mrs. Gunn, thank you, but that's not what we do. And Mrs. Gunn would go into her, her uh, chicken house, her hen house, which was up closer to their side of, of the fence. And she would start praying for Miss Green and her kids. And she would just travail, oh, God, save Ms. Viola, oh, God, save Mr. Clarence, oh, God, and on and on. Finally, my 
my aunt went into um, my grandmother and said, why, did, why does Mrs. Gunn pray about hell and us and all the time? And, and, you know, mom, what is the deal? And so my grandmother finally said, okay, I will go with you if you promise you will stop praying about this. And of course, my grandmother goes, finds the Lord, baptized in the spirit. And uh, I've said for years that uh, there's a lot of people that want to see the Apostle John. Some want to see the Apostle Paul. When I get to heaven, I'm going to walk through going, Mrs. Gunn, Mrs. Gunn. Does anybody know Mrs. Gunn? I want her to know that from that side, I think there were 14 pastors, teachers, preachers, missionaries, full-time ministry workers on the Jones, that's the green side. On the Jones side, um, there were uh, 14 pastors that came out of there. Uh, my, in fact, on, on the green side, uh, Dr. Brassfield's um, one of the, one of his strong uh, leaders in his life who just passed last year was my uncle Jabo Green, and he's my uncle, and he was he was uh, Doctor Phil's uh, close you know um, mentor and, and director and leader. So I, I came, I, I got here with um, my dad. Not my grandfather passed away. My dad still wasn't in ministry, so the church went on to other leaders and teachers. Um, Dad uh, came to the Lord while he was in the Navy. My mother had been a church girl pretty much all of her life and uh, came back to Houston and they married and uh, they went to uh, went on Bible school and uh, started traveling Bible school and then went down to South Texas, Aransas Pass, Texas, and uh, pastored there for a couple of years. And then they moved up to Houston, and a very, very small group of people wanted to start a church on the north end of Houston. And 57, 58 years ago, my parents started with just a little handful and started a church and uh, started on a road called Mount Houston Road. It's funny, people that weren't from here, they'd go, oh, Mount Houston is one of the mountains in Houston. Yeah, Houston's got... Uh, you know, Houston's like 30 feet above, you know, sea level. So, uh, the only mountain we had here was a crawdad. Oh, but, uh, the, uh, church started there on Mount Houston road. And, um, in the, in the early eighties, I, uh, left or late seventies. I left and started traveling, preaching, got married. And in the mid eighties, uh, my dad asked me if I would come back and serve with him. Uh, at the church, and that started a partnership uh, at the church. Church voted us in as though there were no pastor, and that started a partnership at the church uh, that I've been here now pastor as pastor for 38 years, and after I had been here 10 years, I had my brother, uh, Scott, to come back and, uh, and to join me uh, to to work with me, not my assistant, just co-pastor work with me side by side. I told him, don't, don't do what I do. Come do what you do. I'm not overworked under planned. Cause this man is a, he's a unbelievable logistics and planner. Uh, so for 27 years, I guess it just 37 years for me. Uh, so 27 years, uh, my brother and I have worked, uh, together side by side, 
pastoring. And uh, from that, we've had multiple uh, growth spurts and times and growth patterns and moved the congregation, uh, moved buildings, built a couple of buildings. And now we have four uh, campuses, four churches here in the Houston area. And um, God has been unbelievably faithful to to us and to our family. Uh, still got all kinds of cousins and all my uncles have passed, but all got a lot of cousins and nieces and nephews that are in ministry. And this is just what we do. We we just know that it's our it's our great blessing in life to get to serve the Lord, serve the church, and be around people like uh, Doctor Brassfield and Destiny is. It's just uh, one of the great, great blessings, and we're we're that's kind of a nutshell of who we are. Praise God for all He's done um, through your family, through the church there. Such an incredible impact, not just in the Houston area and not just in Texas, but uh, around the nation, and I'm sure around the world as well. So very thankful for Mrs. Gunn and her. Yeah, that's a true. Uh, I, I I preached. It's been probably a year ago that I, I preached, and at the end of the sermon, I was. Using that, you know, Mrs. Gun, Mrs. Gun, and somebody got a hold of that, and uh, I ended up hearing. I walked into a place of business two hours north of Houston when they found out who I was. They said, and it's just been about three or four weeks since I'd preached it. Are, are you the guy looking for Mrs. Gun? Well, yeah, yeah, not actually here. I think she's probably been in heaven for a hundred years, but yeah, I actually am, and um. And there's people that knew, knew her family and knew all knew about her. And so there's, there's been more connections since then. But, yeah, we're, we're grateful. And you know what's amazing on this, uh, Pastor Amos, is there's a, there's a ton of Mrs. Guns in the kingdom of, of God, probably a lot of them listening to me right now, that wonder, do I matter? Do I count? Does anybody even know? What I did find out about Mrs. Gunn since then, of the emotional battles that they fought, of how uh, her husband was so rough and her family uh, talked about her mental health, how she struggled. But that praying woman prayed in what turned into be a family that has produced so many different ministries. Obviously, this changeover principle, this thing has been on your soul, on your mind for a while. I'm sure all these years of ministry, these 37 years of ministry, this is something that's been on your heart. You've seen people come and go. You've seen uh, mentors come and go. You've seen mentees come and go. And, and I know this is something that's very dear to you. And in the book, you talk through both of those sides. But as that developed in you, as the Lord showed you some of those things that he wanted you to share with the rest of us, how was that born in you? First off, best question is you could possibly ask. And kudos to you for being uh, a good uh, interviewer because you you set that in a way that, that tells that story correctly. I, I, I preached these chapters basically as sermons on a, or taught them on Wednesday nights a good while ago. And I tried to write this book for years. And honestly, we just 
just get so foggy and, and I just, my brain would just, but then it'd be clear as a bell and I'd get cranked up again. And, and now I know it took me forever to figure it out. Now I know I've now lived the full circle. And I don't think the Lord won that book out half-baked. Whenever I opened that book, I'm telling you how I came to my dad in the beginning to say, Dad, I believe I'm called to ministry. And I'm you're picking me up at about 16 years old whenever I was ready to uh, not work. I was ready to stand on a, on a platform and be and shiny. You know, I was glittery and shiny, rhinestone cowboy. I'd have been up there shining all over the place. And of course that didn't happen and, um, didn't happen the way at all. And I learned that my, the, in this case, my father was the first one, but then there became many others became my Elijah's and I became an Elisha. I, and I, you know, Elisha has to volunteer. He's called, but he has to volunteer to go. And, um, there's a lot of people that don't want anybody to tell them what to do. And consequently you're, then you're on the level you're going to be on, uh, you know, so I hope you like where you are because that's where you are. Uh, whenever I started this, I, I understood the concept. I could teach it. I, I understood, um, from the fundamentals of one, two, three, this is how it works. I've now lived to the point that I know what it is to come on stage to work with an Elijah side by side for years, years, that's a plural years. And you need to know to an eternal God years don't mean much. So if you're keeping a stopwatch on God, you, you might not, I don't recommend that for years. And then and my dad's been gone for 15 years. I w- I've been the pastor, though, sole pastor of the church uh, for uh, 30, uh, 30 years or more, but, you know, long after he no longer was. And I am now in the process of passing the baton to those who are coming behind me and beside me to carry on the race. Because the race is not a sprint and the race is not a, it's, it's not a boxing match with one man in the ring. This race is a team and it's all of us together and we each have different legs of the race to run and we have to run them in, the, you can't run them out of season. You have to run them in season in their time. And it, it took me this long to be able to authoritatively speak to the Elijah portion because I now know what it is to, to have the answer, to be, to, to be able to step up and to do this, but no, for this kingdom to do what it's supposed to do, I just need to make sure that the people that are around me have the answer and let them run with this answer. And I'm not their competition. Uh, if you're a baseball person, I'm no longer the active member of the game necessarily although i'm at every game but i'm a backstop if you ever played catch with a friend who couldn't throw 
not fun in a little while because they keep overthrowing and you're running down the block to get the ball. But if you ever got to go to the field when the team wasn't out there and play with the backstop, didn't matter how crazy a pitch your friend threw, backstop's going to catch it. I'm able now to get people into ministry who probably haven't trained well enough to keep it in any kind of a strike zone. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I got it. There, and I, I've many times I say there won't be anything happen in this service that 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 the Lord and I together and you that we're not going to be able to work it out. It's gonna it's gonna go good. And if we'll do it right in a good ways, people won't even realize and see that we've had to. We had a couple of wild things happen with my pitch or this. So if you if your if your baseball, I'm that. Um, I understand now, uh, and I, I believe I put this in the book. One time I was in the I was out in the country, and a storm came in, and uh, a lightning storm, and it blew out a transformer at a um, at the place we were staying, and um, so we're you know we're all sitting in the dark and. The electric crew comes from the, the company and they pull up. And if you um, if you know what a transformer looks like, a transformer is that big uh, steel thing hanging from the pole at the top, and it, it connects the it transforms the power. The electricity above your head uh, has high voltage, and the transformer transforms down to what your house can handle. So the transformer had been hit by lightning, so nothing was coming through it. So they needed to replace a piece that goes on that transformer. And uh, it's two guys. They have a truck. They have a ladder. Um, they looked up, and they could see what they needed to do. So we're all, you know, starting to sweat. We're glad they're there. They're going to get their ladder out, go up there and change it. But they don't. They they wait. So finally someone went and asked. They said, we called in another crew. And the guy's holding the part in his hand, parts as long as your arm not very big it's a circular pattern you can see there's one up there hanging down on the side of the transformer and what happens when lightning hits that thing is their suppressor it knocks off to the side so it doesn't blow it up all you got to do is go put that one on and and we're, we're good to go he said yeah but this one's too this the hole's too tall and your your ladder won't reach it yes our ladder will reach it well fire it you because this this pole is too tall, and he finally, you know, wasn't a great communicator. Finally, came out and said, "Whenever something is this tall, we can't allow one man to go up the ladder. It's too unstable." So they waited till another crew came. Two more men got out. They walked over. They extended these ladders, and they were long, all long ladders. These two guys had these harnesses that they wrapped around their bodies and they stood at the bottom of, of the ladder and they did nothing but stand at the bottom of the ladder. They, the straps on them around, right around the rungs and the straps are taut. So they're, they're holding, they're, they're pulling down on the ladder, putting weight on the ladder. And this guy climbs the ladder and that ladder is bouncing and it is moving a lot. And you realize, oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be 40 feet up in the air with a ladder that didn't have somebody holding it securely. And that's where the Lord starts speaking to you. And I went, that's it. Part of the job that I do now, Pastor Amos, I could fix it. 
I, I could go up and fix that. Uh, there actually, I could get a, a pole almost long enough to be able to fix that transformer from the ground. But my job is to hold the ladder so that someone else can climb and do that work. I'm here to make things secure. I'm here to bring stability. At my age, I'm not as fast as I was, you know, 20, 25 years ago, but I'm more stable than I ever was. I understand. I, I don't, I'm not going to get blown. Of course I'm not. I mean, I don't know of anything that would happen in a service that through, you know, through 60 years of being, being in church services that I, you know, would go, wow, never seen that. I mean, you, you probably have, but to be able to securely hold the ladder for someone to climb. Now that means if I put that ladder, take it off a transformer and put it on a wall, and if the wall is what's hiding the future, that means I'm going to hold the ladder so Pastor Amos can climb the ladder. So that, that means you're going to see over walls I'm not going to see over. And I need you to be a good communicator to, to give me, give me the want to, to continue to stand here and hold your ladder for you to tell me what you see. So whenever I'm holding the ladder, uh, young pastors, I can say, now I know what it is. I do know what it is to work a job. I got here. I did air conditioning, had an air conditioning company, but before the church was large enough to be able to pay my wife and me and do what all we wanted to do. I know what it is to work, come in and then run into church and, and do church. I, I know what that is. I, I, I've done that, but then I can also say, but then I, I've seen it when it started growing. And I remember, I, I, I can tell you, I, I've been on the ground now long enough and I'm able to tell the young pastor, um, okay, you think it's never going to break, but I'm telling you about the time you think it's not going to break. If you've done the things that the Lord has put in place and, and, you know, you lay, lay those things out, then it is to, to break. I, I remember, uh, when we broke the spirit of racism in our church, I was almost 40 years old. I remember how that worked. I remember what that was like. I remember having a white only church and couldn't figure out why we couldn't break that and had someone who was holding the ladder tell me as a 40 year old, uh, th this is, this is something you might want to put in or this is what you will pray about. And I remember when that happened, I remember the season that came in and now I'm able to say, I remember what it was like to break that 200. And then once, once you know, you can break 200, then we stayed with it. And then, okay, well, 300, it became doable because I did know we did do 200 and and then we hit that ceiling. We stayed forever and forever. We, how do we go the next? What do we do? And to pray and to to ask God for wisdom, but figure out there must be more to it. And we grew a little more. Then we broke open and looked like things were really going big. And then we're stymied again. What do we do? And then the things that that took place. Um, we we had a, a prophecy at the church that said, uh, "Church, uh, this church is it's going to double." Well, you know when we hear that, we all go, "Whoop." Church is going to double. Church got to double. We're excited about that. We're excited about that. Okay, now what I just said was your seat's going to be full. What I just said, they're going to sit where you sit. What I just said was their nursery's going to be full. What I just said is 
the parking lot, you're going to have to park on the street. That, 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 that's what I just said. What I just said is we're going to have to go to another service. And what I just said was that means there's four volunteers that are going to be needed. And so we actually, Pastor Mike Acosta on our staff, he, he, he's got an analytical mind. He said, okay, we have this prophecy that says we're going to double. So how many ushers do we have now? And how many will we need? And he just started making lists. And how many Sunday school teachers will we need? And how many this and that? And when we finally had a full list, everything it was going to take, then instead of just trying to say, oh, God, send them, oh, God, send them, then we started building the teams. We started finding the volunteers, started finding people that would do this, finding people that would work one, worship one. We started working that out. We we took it from being super full, and it feels great to, okay, now we're going to break that service into two services, and it won't feel super full. And how are we going to keep this momentum going? And in that process, we found that once we learned how to operate, and I remember that number was 700, once we learned how to operate there and we built the teams, in one year's time, we went to 1,400 people. Wow. Because we did the right things along the way. And now, because where I, what I'm doing, as I'm able to tell a pastor, you don't need to call another fast. People, they're, they're, they're fasted out. Well, we got to pray more. Well, we got to pray the right amount. Just praying longer, more. If if praying more by itself would do it, then there are monks that have us beaten two pieces because they're praying 18 hours a day. There might be more to it, so you need someone to hold the ladder. Some of this growth and some of the things that we've done, Pastor Amos, is you, it comes down to a few fundamental questions. One of them you, you have to ask, do I want to be a, a big part of something that's smaller or do I want to be a smaller part of something big? Now, big isn't necessarily better. And to church big for big purposes, that doesn't make any sense. One of our campuses is in Liberty, Texas. To grow a big church in Liberty, Texas, uh, that, that could be a 300, 400 um, a member church because you know I always when I would evangelize travel and there and they stood up and said we're going to have a, a thousand soul revival and I know I know there's not a thousand souls if we count the hogs and the cows for two miles around this church ten miles probably not, not likely we're going to have a thousand soul revival if we don't have a thousand souls to to work with does that mean that a church that doesn't have a thousand souls is doing something wrong no not at all what what we're going for is a healthy church and a healthy church is going to reproduce itself and it's done in many ways not just in babies it can be done in depth do do you know how many uh, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we had a church in in, in backwater um, Minnesota that had uh, 50 people in it. And that's all that could be there because, you know, it's all 
farmland around it. And, and, you know, that's, so that's what's going to be there. But they are dedicated people, dedicated people that we could then pair them up with a destiny church. That's, that's new. And we could ask that church of 50 that can't grow about to 70, 90 and a hundred people because they don't have any people around. Everybody's already saved. They're already rebaptizing everybody. They've already been saved two or three times. So what if, what if we got them hooked up with a church that they cared for so much that they knew what was happening? They knew the sermon series that was going to be preached, and, and they were praying hard for them, and they became the midwives who didn't try to act like the pregnant lady, but they're actually there just to help bring the babies in. You know what? You you don't want a midwife that's in there going, all righty now, let's see, which end would it be? No, 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 no. Oh, God, give me a midwife that knows what's going on. Well, we've got churches in places that may not have the ability, just because, <clears throat> excuse me, just because of the logistics, may not have the ability to turn into huge churches, whatever that means. But could they not turn into huge churches through the impact of their foot in the middle of Satan's party, that that church get progress reports back of Johnny and Susie and their marriage that was saved and that there's already, there's some communication going back to them. And with the stuff we have now, we could actually run a video camera and show a service and show there. And here they are, they're a thousand miles apart of the United States, but still we're in what happens and we do that around the missions field. Why is it we'll show something that happens in India to our church, but we won't show something that happens in Indiana in our church? It's because it, we're not thinking along these lines. Not wrong. It's just thoughts we haven't had yet. But if we'll get in here and realize at, at one point when you're an Elisha, somebody's an Elijah. And as that Elisha gets started, he needs that Elijah in front of him to show that this is how we do this. I was thinking about a couple of questions, even as we're talking, you know, you, you've brought up this Elijah and this Elisha principle, and I, it occurs to me there are so many different types of people who are listening on the podcast today. Some of them are Elijah. Some of them have been mentoring for a long, long time. Um, some of them are Elishas, and, and they've been under mentorship. I, what I'd like to speak to probably just this last part is I think that there are some Elijahs who who maybe haven't found their Elisha just yet, and there are probably some Elishas who have it um, come up to their Elijah. That's right. And so my question for you is, and you've written about this so well in the book, but my question for you is, if that if that's someone that's listening today, someone who's either an Elijah who doesn't have an Elisha or an Elisha who doesn't have an Elijah, what are some things that they can do? How can they be preparing for that that mentorship or that someone to step in their life to be a mentor to them? Such a wonderful question and posed so well. Uh, and Elijah feels frustrated when they have no one who wants to know what they know. And that's where, especially in this age, if you can't, if you don't have an Elisha asking questions, if you don't have an Elisha around you that wants to know, 
the first thing we have to do is get some of your knowledge out of you. It's be through writing. And if you say, I'm not good at that, then it's going to be at recording. It's going to be because everybody can push a record button and you're going to record this, these things. There are, there are groups that aren't even necessarily, uh, they're not religious, spiritual type, but they are repositories of knowledge that people have about something. Just go to YouTube and look and see how many people have something they want to teach. Mm. Because people will teach about anything. They'll, they'll teach about how to do their garage door opener and how to, how to, to help you make your garage door opener work with your new Ford. <laughs> and you know what? I'm glad they do because I'm out there pushing the button, trying to make it happen. And I'm watching Joe Bob, who I don't know is a good guy or not, but Joe Bob is pointing and showing and doing. And then I'm frustrated because I'm, and I'm talking to him. And he can't hear me. Joe, I'm doing exactly what you're doing. It's not doing it that way. But people so want to teach. This is why stuff like Wikipedia, it's put together, and what reason it works, it's put together by people who want, they want to contribute. And they're getting paid zippity-doo. They, they do it just because they want to contribute. They want to be a part. In fact, in Pink's book, it might be the one, it might be the one called Drive. But in it, he says, he talks about People who do something for the passion of, and they do it because they enjoy doing it, and it gives their life meaning. And then the organization that they're doing it for says, "Wow, you do this so good. Let us hire you." And then when they're hired, they don't they don't want to do it. They don't like to do it. It's not fun. Now it's my job. It wasn't my job before. Before it was it was what I did after my job. It gave me purpose. Sure. And and uh, the generation. A huge generation. I, don't, I wouldn't even know which one to say it is, but I'll tell you, uh, 25 to 40 year old, somewhere in there, whatever, that's probably two different um, groups that falls in. They won't know they're using their life for something that matters. So they are cause driven. Give them a cause. Right. We're drilling water wells. I'm in. We're going to drill water well. Hey, we want you to come run our organization where we drill water wells. Okay, it's a job now. People, I don't want to do it. It's my job. I want to do it because it's my passion. Therefore, if a person has a passion for this stuff, you need to record it. If they can record just audibly, we can do that. You can get that converted into text. Or if you do it with a video, do that. Post it. They get posted on YouTube. Things I learned from the first three chapters of the book of Jude. And don't expect anybody to watch it because Jude just has one chapter and that you showed you don't know, but, but put on there what you, you know, the things that, that, that matter to you, you'll get something will pick up on that. If you, if you have the desire and you don't have someone pulling on it, there's something there. So that's the Elijah. You show you, you have something and you find people who need it. That's, that's the biggest part there. The Elisha, it's, it's just a reverse thing. Find somebody that you, you watch a couple and he's, he's sweet to her and she's sweet to him. And it looks like they, you know, they're 15, 20, 30 years older than you. And you, it looks like they, 
aren't axe murderers, you know, and so you, uh, you, at least yourself, you know, how long have you guys been married? Oh, we've been married 40 years. How did y'all not go to jail in 40 years? I got to get crafty. And then literally, literally, that's how mentor relationships can be born. Because if that couple that's been married a while has been thinking about what they have, and they have that Elijah spirit, they have it on them, the Elishas that say, show me that. Let, let me see that. Like a card almost like, what? But how did how did you how did you not give her back that sharp answer, you know? Uh I I when I'm teaching, sometimes I'll tell the folks, remember how when you you were first dating, you know, you ran around and grabbed the door, opened the door, helped her in, closed it. Now you just slow down getting close to the front door. If you can't get your ignorant leg caught in the door, I'm gonna slow down enough for us to get a good parking spot. You can jump now. Yeah. What happened? There you need somebody to to teach you, um, to show you. And the Elijah has something to put out. So don't sit back and seize. Put it out. Put it out. Verbalize it. Put it out um, in in written form. Put it out in digital form. Put it where where it can be seen. To show at, at church. Uh, volunteer for anything at, at, at the church. Um, I tell you what, one way we did, uh, we prepared, we, this church wasn't that big then, prepared, saved some money. And we said all the single mothers of the church on this Saturday, if you, uh, you know, you have to tell us ahead of time what it is, bring your car. Uh, some of the, of the church are going to be here. They're going to change the oil of your car, do the, do the, you know, preventative maintenance, just, you know, this, this, we'll need to know to get the filters, all that kind of stuff. So then we had guys show up with them that didn't know that's a blinker, that's a hood, that's a tire. They don't know anything. Before the day was done, they know enough about how to change oil. Does that mean they're going to go be a mechanic? No, it wasn't even really about the oil. It was about the relationship. So the Elijah, show it. And the Elisha, go look for it. You find somebody that's doing it. Part of the, of the joy of it is finding it. It's finding that one. Uh, on the Elishas, I tell them all the time, it's your responsibility as an Elisha to pursue your Elijah. Not Elijah to go on the phone and say, all right, today I'm going to do something, something. It's Elisha saying, when's the next time you're going to work on your Mustang? Because I want to be there because I'm trying to learn about this. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Leaders Podcast. If you would like more information on all things Destiny, please visit DestinyLeaders.com. Let's do something great together.